Well, we've been in a series for some time now called Victory Over Darkness, and we are going to continue in that. Let's look at Colossians 1, verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9. It says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Verse 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 13 says, He has delivered us, God the Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. In the Young's Literal Translation, verse 13 says, Who did rescue us out of the authority of darkness, and did translate us into the reign of the Son of His love. In the Amplified Classic, it says, The Father has delivered and drawn us to Himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness, and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. In the CEV, it says, God rescued us from the dark power of Satan and brought us into the kingdom of His dear Son. So you can see from from these verses, of course, we're going to read more, but we've spent some time on this. Here it clearly says, God has delivered us out of the power of darkness out of the authority of darkness, out of the control and the dominion of darkness, out of the dark power of Satan. These are all synonymous. Um, God, through Jesus, when we believe on Jesus, we've been delivered out of the power of darkness and into His kingdom. In other words, we were in a bad family, And now we are in the control of a good family. You know, you had an abusive father, somebody that you're under the control of, but the Bible says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Satan exercised control over mankind, but that's why Jesus came, is, is so that by believing on Him, He came to ransom us out of that family. He made the payment. How do we get in on that? We believe God that that's true, that Jesus is the Son of God. This isn't a fairy tale. This is legal. This is as legal as it gets. This is in the court of the universe. God is the highest authority in the universe. And Satan had legal control over humanity because Adam came. He sinned. He bowed his knee to Satan. He did what Satan told him to do, so he put himself under that, sold out the rest of humanity. And so Satan has exercised control over humanity. And that's why there's the death and destruction in the world that there is. People say, why do good, you know, bad things happen in the world? Because there's a devil. Because he's real. 
Some of you say, well, there's no devil. Yeah, that's a lie. And that's, that's what he wants you to believe. No, the, in the, the reality is God is the creator. God is the highest authority. He created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sold out. It's not a fairy tale. That's real. And put us, basically sold us out. And so all along, humanity's been under the power of Satan. So God had to send His Son to make payment in the court of the universe. He sent His Son as a man. Somebody said, why did, why did Jesus have to come as a man? You know, we're in the Christmas season. What, what are we even celebrating? Just, you know, we get together so we can have presents. And, oh yeah, we believe Jesus. But what is the reality? It's the most, uh, it's the biggest truth that we could ever know. Why did Jesus have to come as a baby? Because he had to be one of us. It's legal. It's not somebody made it up. He had to come under the same legal circumstances that Adam did, but this time he wouldn't fail. That's what happened. He couldn't just come in and say, ah, time out, do over. God's just. He can't break his word. He gave dominion to Adam. Adam gave it legally, sold out to Satan. Well, it's just like if you leased some, something to somebody. Just because you're the owner of it and you lease it, they can do certain things that are in the lease. They could let somebody in the house and, and do certain things. They can't break the lease, but under the, 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 circum, the, the, the rules of the lease, they could do certain things that you don't want done. Well, you can't go in and go... Wait, stop it. You cannot go into their house. I mean, it's illegal for you just to break down the door and do it. You could not legally do that. Even if you're right, as long as it's under the, the terms of the lease, you can't stop certain things. So Adam had authority, and he bowed his knee to Satan. And so God can't say, oh, wait, that's, that's not the way I wanted this to go. Do over. He's unjust. Do you see that? He can't do that. So he had to send Jesus as a man to come in under the same terms, but he didn't fail. Now he is the replacement for Adam. Now he, he, he deserves no punishment, but Satan, he went to the cross and went to the grave, but the Bible says the grave couldn't hold him because he it was, he was unjustly held. He paid for the sin of all humanity. He rose from the dead with the keys to hell and the grave. And the Bible says by believing on Him that we're redeemed. That we're what the Bible says called saved. That we become uh, children of God. This is a legal transaction. This isn't something somebody made up. It means we are actually transferred from one kingdom to the other, <clears throat> and we are no longer under the authority of Satan. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. See, so much of what we see day to day is just natural, right? You, you deal with natural people. Maybe that's a picture or you know, screen of somebody natural. You, maybe you're not uh, interacting with people on site. depends on what uh, industry you're in, but you're dealing with natural people. And so sometimes we just get to the place where we think everything's just what we see, but it's not. 
It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It's talking about uh, evil spirits, supernatural powers. Colossians 2, verse 11 says, In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. So Jesus was raised from the dead, but here it's saying we were raised with Him through faith. What does that mean? By believing on Him, then you are, are taken from death to life as well. Verse 13, And you, being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, ha having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, Having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them in it. So verse 15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them. So those same principalities and powers we read in Ephesians 6.12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, etc. It says here, God through Jesus has disarmed them. That means they don't have authority over the Christian anymore. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Saying Jesus, just like people, became our, our flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that means he became human, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. This is what we're talking about. He had to become a man that through death he might destroy him who had, past tense, the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So, Jesus had to come as a man, flesh and blood, that through death, that is going through the cross and being raised from the dead, he might destroy him who had the power of death. So Satan had the power of death. That's why Jesus came to strip him of that power and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That, in other words, people are bound whether they know it or not. Fear runs rampant in the earth. Fear of death, people are afraid of dying. And people say, well, there's no afterlife. Well, you know, some people are afraid of flying. Some people are afraid of certain types of animals or, you know, there's all types of fears. But what it boils down to is a fear of death or a fear of loss. And when you understand what Jesus has done and when we believe on him that we are redeemed from that, that means we're going to live forever in his kingdom. You're going to live forever anyway. This is where you're going to live. But when we understand that, 
fear of death has no power over us because we know that no matter what happens, we're with Him. And then we can truly live. We can truly start living. But here it says that that's why Christ came, is that through death He might destroy Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release us. Uh, Revelation 1.18 says, I am He who lives, who was dead, and behold, am alive forevermore. Jesus is talking about, Amen, I have the keys of Hades and of death. Satan used to have them, but now Jesus has them. For the Christian, see, we've been raised with Christ. We are in His kingdom, and He has the keys of death. He, Satan has been stripped. For the Christian. But Satan still exercises power in the earth over those that have not believed on Christ. And it's a legality thing again. There is nothing we can make up to work our way to God. That's religion. Well, I, you know, somebody said, well, I believe, you know, there's another way. In the court of the universe, there's only one way. Uh... There, it's not about ideas or philosophies. It's about what truly has been paid for and done legally. And because Jesus came as a man, He was the way, the only way that could take us out of the control of Satan. There, in other words, a man can't take himself out. He doesn't have the legal means to do it. You know this from, you know, a court of law, you can't just make up things that you decide, well, and I think this would work in the terms of the contract. It's not in the contract, but you think, you know, but I think this is a good alternative. In a court, they're going to say, well, what's in the contract? But I think this is just as good. What's in the contract? Yeah, but I like this. This is what my parents taught me and their grandparents, whatever. <laughs> is it in the contract? See, that's what, people, that's what religion is. Well, we've been, we've been doing this for 500 years. And a lot of people have done a lot of stuff for thousands of years. Does it mean it's right? Is it, it, it was wrong when it started, and just because it's been passed down, it's still wrong. If there's only one way legally, that's it. That's it. I mean, you can't argue a different thing. That, that's, when people, people say, well, there's many ways to God. No, there's not. There's not. Not according to the Bible. In, there, in the court of the universe, there's one way. Well, that's your idea. No, that's why Jesus came. He came as a witness and as a person, 100% God, 100% man, so that he could redeem us. It's not an idea. People saw him, eyewitness. The Bible says 500 people saw him at once. Now, that was all written down for our benefit, so now it becomes, do we believe that? Because it's real. And we have more evidence that the Bible is true and the manuscripts than you have any other document that you put any kind of uh, trust in. There's more documents, there's more written, written evidence for the Bible and that what it says is, is verified than anything else. Now you have to believe the testimony. So that's how we become what the Bible calls saved is by trusting in what Jesus did. Now, we spent some time talking about the fact that we're seated with Him, that because of what Christ did, we've been made alive together with Him, and that's why we have authority. That's why we have power over darkness. Let's look at Ephesians 2, verse 4, 
and then we'll go a little bit further uh, into what we specifically want to get into today. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, But God who was, is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, just got done in the earlier verses here saying, we didn't have anything to offer Him. We were dead uh, in our own works. But it says, But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So He's raised us up together with Jesus. So Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, the seat of authority in the universe, And the Bible says, we as Christians have been raised with Him. Now, we're not God. You you think that would go without saying, but some people get weird ideas. The Bible calls, we're we're seated with Christ, but you're you're not the Son of God. You're a son or daughter of God. You're brother and sister to Jesus, but, you know, we don't have... Uh, his ability, but we have His authority to carry out His plans. But you don't get to make up what those are. So we have been seated with Him, and that's why we have authority. Let me read you this um, from the Believer's Authority. read this the other week, but it'll bear repeating. Uh, Kenneth E. Hagin's book, Believer's Authority, says, The Son is seated above these powers and has the authority of the throne of God, but this is precisely where the church world as a whole has failed. It has understood that Jesus Christ is the supreme head of the church. You know, a lot of Christians will acknowledge that. Well, yeah, Jesus is Lord. But it has failed to understand that the head is totally dependent. Jesus is the head. The Bible calls the, the, the church, His body, it has failed to understand that the head is totally dependent on the body for carrying out His plans, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, and that His exercising authority over the powers of the air has to be through the body. So that's where you know, the church world has missed it, is that Jesus is Lord, but that the church has been seated with Him. So then we have authority to carry out His work on the earth. It's His work, but it's delegated. Last week we talked about authority is delegated power. And we'll get into that a little more. Let's look at Acts uh, 10, verse 36. Actually, let's go to, to Luke 9, verse 1. Luke 9, verse 1 says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag nor bread nor money, and do not have uh, two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Verse 6, 
So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So what Jesus is doing here when he called the 12 disciples, he's giving them authority. It's his power, it's God's power, but he's giving them authority. And we said last week, authority is delegated power. Now you know this. When you act on behalf of any organization, any employer, any system, it's your delegated power to do that. In other words, the real power or the finances or the account or the connections may be actually with an organization, but you as a representative of the organization are acting on behalf. We, we exercise this every day. It could be, you know, if you have a, a teenage son or daughter and you send them to the store to buy something, they're acting maybe with your money to pick up something. They're, acting, they're actually acting on your authority. So you gave them power. It's actually your power, but you gave them power through delegation to get the job done. It's as simple as that. Jesus is the head. He's the authority. But as Christians, we're in the church, which is called His body. So the body of Christ, which is what the Bible says, is going to carry out His work on the earth. In other words, Jesus is not doing everything on the earth personally. He had a ministry on the earth. Here we say, see He's already delegating power, delegating authority to His disciples to get the job done. Well, this is carried on. But we see that this is what's going on here, and we're going to see how that continued and how it's been given to us. So verse 1 says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. That's what we talked about, the principalities, powers, not wrestling against flesh and blood. blood those are real. That's what was going on behind the scenes. Verse 2, He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So he's delegating his work to them. Say, go get this done. Verse 6 then says, So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So what are they doing? They're doing what they were given to do. It'd be like you're going to the store. You're going to buy some. Jesus' work, he delegated and said, get this done. And he gave them the power to do it, the authority to do it. Without the authority, they, they can't act. And see, the church, by and large, has said, well, you know, somehow, well, there's Jesus, there's, there's God, but then we're just trying to get by here on the earth, just doing whatever, and maybe God will help us, maybe He won't, we just don't know what He'll do. No, we know what He'll do. The Word of God tells us what He'll do and tells us what He has done. It's a legal document. You know, this Bible is a legal document. We know what God will do based on this. We can look and say, see what He has done. Not based on what you see, feel, not based on somebody's opinion, but based on what he has done. And so then we can act on his word. It's just the same as you'd act on a contract. Anybody buy something from a retailer anytime? There may be, if it's more involved, there may be a contract. And something, if something goes wrong, you may look, have to go look and say, well, what are the terms? What are my rights here? How do you figure that out? Well, you know, you ask your friend and, hey, what do you think about what the terms are? And if he said it, then you go to the company and say, hey, we're good because my friend told me I have this right. Is that the way you do it? No. You go to the contract between you and the party and say, and look and see what are your actual rights. Doesn't matter what somebody said. Well, I think it should be this way. 
You could get 15 opinions. Doesn't mean anything if it's not an actual agreement. The Bible is the actual agreement between God and man. It's His Word. So that's how, you, that's how we act is based on His Word. Luke 10, verse 1. So this is the next chapter. So He sent out His disciples, gave them power. Luke 10, verse 1 and 2 says, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also. And sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now notice what's going on here. There's a couple things that are very clear here. Verse 1, And these things the... And after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. So kind of getting ahead, but we'll touch on it here since we're at the Scripture, and then we will come back. He's appointing 70 others and giving them authority. Some people say, well, anything the disciples did, that was just given to the disciples. Signs and wonders, the, the supernatural, that was just with the disciples, and it died out when they died out. Right here, he's giving 70 other people the ability to do the same thing. And you see it throughout book, the book of Acts where it's continued and it hasn't stopped today. It says, He appointed the Lord, uh, these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent these two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. So He sent people out to do the work to prepare so that He would be received. Verse 2, And then He said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. So he's saying at this point, there's a big harvest. He's saying at this point, he's sending out people to get the job done. This is true all the time. Right now, the harvest is great. I'm talking about 2020. The harvest is great right now. And what God, Jesus is doing here is sending people out, delegating them to work in that harvest. That's exactly what is still going on now. Nothing's changed. Of course, technology's changed and the years change, and, but people haven't changed. And that part of it, the circumstances have not changed. Skip down to... Verse 17, Luke 10, 17. It says, Then the 70 returned with joy. So Jesus sent them out, gave them the ability. Then they returned, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they're going out doing what Jesus told them to do, and they're finding out it works. Verse 18, And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, Verse 19, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So he's saying, I give you authority, delegated power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Uh, this is not referring to literal serpents and scorpions. You can see that. It's talking about those principalities and powers because the Next part of that verse says, and over all the power of the enemy. So this is figurative language. 
for those principalities and powers and basically supernatural uh, evil forces. He says, I give you authority. So this is before Jesus went to the cross, before he was raised from the dead. So a question. After he raised from the dead, after he's established the church, does the church need less authority now than these disciples needed then? Do we somehow, we don't need this authority anymore? That would be ludicrous to think so. Would it, it doesn't make any sense that the church, after the risen, uh, Jesus has risen from the dead, would have less authority or position than these disciples did before Jesus uh, went to the cross and, and was raised from the dead. Does that make any sense that somehow now the church in this state, after Jesus has completed his work, would have less authority than the disciples before? That doesn't even, that's not even logical. Why did Jesus, why did he go to the cross then? You might as well have just left it the way it was because they had it better. They had more, more power, more authority. That's not true. Let's look at Mark 16, 15. So we're going to look at some verses then that show specifically that God has delegated authority over Satan, over anything evil, to the church. See, see, people are generally, in the church world, they're asking God to do everything, and then they're mad or upset because they think God should do things that actually He's delegated to the church. God does not make everything happen in the world that happens. If He did, He sure has everything in a mess. If God, some people say, I'm not going to get into this, but some people say God is in control. Well, God is on the throne but He does not control everything that happens. Men make decisions and listen to evil. God does not cause people to murder. To say that everything that happens, God does, is blasphemy. And we could teach on that more. We're not going to teach on that today, but it just goes, it defies logic. It defies normal human understanding and this is why, just listen to me, people are mad at God. And they're not actually mad at God. They think it's God because they've been told it's God that's done everything and He hasn't. God took out your child. It was God's will that your child died young. People will teach that. That's a lie. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He is the thief. He is the author of destruction. God has delegated authority to people, he gave men a free will, and they, they've messed stuff up, and that's why we need a Savior and need to trust Him. But He doesn't come in and usurp men's authority. Mark 16, 15 says, And He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now Jesus is about to leave the earth, and, and He is telling His disciples what to do. And this command goes on to every follower of Christ. Go into all the world, world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. Now, let me ask you a question. 
He said, these signs will follow those who believe. Did he say, these signs will follow those who are my 12 disciples? He's talking to them. Did he say, these signs will follow only those that are the 70? He said, these signs will follow those who believe. Well, if we believe, do we qualify? So there's no way this, what he's saying here, ended with these original disciples uh, dying. Verse 17, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. These are signs that will follow those who believe. These, these are, this is saying what the church can do on the earth. But he said, these signs will follow those who believe. And then he said, in my name. If you can go back to verse 17. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. What does in my name mean? In my authority. That's like, in my name, you will go to the store and buy groceries. What is that? That's in my authority. In my name, you will set up, you know, in the company's name, you shall set up certain accounts. That's authority. Here, it's saying, in my name. Well, that's, that, that's authority that God, through Jesus, is giving to the church. Let's look at Matthew 28, verse 18. So these verses that we're going to get that we're going to read here they're from four different authors. We just read Mark, not directly the same thing um, as we read Mark, but Mark goes right with it. If you count Mark, it's five different authors that are going to say these things about the delegated authority that we have as Christians that God through that that God through Jesus delegated this authority to us and told us to do something about the devil. He told us to do it. In other words, he didn't say he's going to do it all. He told us to do it. Uh, Kenneth E. Hagan, he relates this um, account. He saw a vision, you know, of Jesus multiple times, but he was... He saw a vision of Jesus, and he's, it's basically an open vision, so he, I believe this one was. I'm, I, there's some of them, an open vision means you have your eyes open. You can, it's like you can see everything that's going on, but you're seeing the spiritual realm. But then there's some that he had his eyes closed. I can't remember which one this was. But anyway, he is talking to Jesus. And there's this, basically a little demon was get, came in and was causing disruption started yelling, and there's like a smoke screen, and Jesus is still talking to him. It'd be like if I'm talking to Christina here, and somebody starts making a commotion. But let's say Christina's talking to me, and you can't see Christina on the camera, but she's there. And um, if, some, if, if something were disrupting between us, and she's still talking, that's what was going on. Ken Hagen's talking to Jesus. And something is disrupting, and he can't hear Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, what? He's thinking, why don't you make that stop? Mm -hmm. And it kept going on, and finally he said, in the name of Jesus, stop. Told the, de the, the, 
the demon stop and get out of here. And he stopped. I think then he said, get out of here, and he left. And then Jesus said, if you wouldn't have done that, I couldn't have. And Brother Hagen, if you've heard him tell the story, was like, he goes, I misheard you. you. You surely meant to say, if you didn't do that, if you wouldn't have done that, I, or if you didn't do that, I wouldn't. And, he, and Jesus said, no, I didn't say I wouldn't, I said I couldn't. And so he went back, he went around in circles like four times. Brother Hagen came back and said, no, I know I misheard you. You didn't say couldn't, you said wouldn't, or you meant wouldn't. And Jesus said, no. I didn't say wouldn't, I said couldn't. In other words, Jesus was saying, I could not tell that demon to go away. And Brother Hagin said, that upends my theology. You're going to have to give me scripture for it. And Jesus said there, you know, he's going to give him these scriptures. He goes, you've got to give me at least like three verses. And, Brother Hag- and Jesus said, I'll, give, I'll do you one better. I'll give you four. Four different witnesses that, for, for backing that up. So then he, he actually was referring to some of these verses. Look at Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me. Okay? All authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Verse 19, go therefore and make all disciples or make disciples of all nations. Right before that, he said, All authority has been given to me. And then he turned around and he delegated that authority to the disciples because he said, Go therefore. He has authority, so then he said, And I'm sending you. Well, what's he sending them? He's delegating his authority to the disciples to get the the preaching of the gospel done. Let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 26. So if Jesus has authority, and Jesus is seated with the Father, and we're seated with Him, then we have authority. And you see here where He is actually showing the fact that we have authority over darkness. Ephesians uh, 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 7, Nor give place to the devil. It says, Don't give place to the devil. Well, question, if Satan can do anything he wants at any time and has authority over the believer, you don't have to give him place. He just kicked the door down and come in. But this is saying we have to give him place. We have to give him an opportunity. So he can't do anything he wants. That means we have authority to keep him at bay if we act. James 4, 7 
James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Therefore submit to God. So do what God has told you to do. Be in the place God has put you in. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, question, if he had authority, he would not flee from you. But it says to resist him and he will go. That means the believer has authority. Satan does not want you to know this. Satan does not want the church to know this. Satan wants to say, oh, that's, that's, that's just, that, that's not true. That's whatever. That's somebody's weird idea. Because then you will not exercise authority over him. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's a thing to get. Authority, which is delegated power, is not based on how you feel about that authority. It's not, see, because sometimes we will feel like, you can have a feeling that I don't feel like I have authority over the devil. In other words, I feel like it's, it's not working, or I feel like I just don't have it today. See, if you operate on that, then you're going to miss the whole thing. And if we realize the legality that's involved, it can help our faith. You have authority as a Christian legally, regardless of how you feel. When you feel like you have to have a feeling, or if you yell it, or if you get upset, or you say stuff like that, you know, get, get, if you have to, you know, really give the command with emotion, then you're not actually believing you have authority. You know, parents, we're probably all guilty of it. When you're acting with more emotion to try to get your child to do something, you're not acting like you're act the one in charge. You're acting, and we've all done it, so I'm not throwing any stuff. I mean, what I'm saying is, as a parent, or in any situation, whether it is, I don't know, you could be dealing with somebody, uh, with a, a business person. You know, you could have a deal with, with somebody, maybe it's a contractor or something. If, if you are, anytime we're acting out of emotion, then we are actually acting. We're not sure about our actual rights. We're not sure about the actual legality or the reality of what uh, is happening. Because if we're sure and you know where you stand, you don't have to say it loud. You don't have to feel like it's true because you know it's true. You can talk in the quietest voice, in the kindest voice, because you know you are fully and completely right. You know, back to when you're dealing with the kid, you know, child, if, you're, if we get to the place where we're like, would you stop it? We're, 
we're, we're not acting like they have to do what we need to do. So, well, they're not. Well, there's probably reasons why we, we've gotten to that place. But when we, if you're dealing with, with a business deal, you don't have to yell. You don't have to get mad. You don't have to feel like it's true. If you know the contract says this and you're right, they could yell. They could make a big deal. They could go, yeah, but, and try to intimidate you. And you could just be like, yeah, but, so-and-so. That'd probably make a matter. But if you know what the contract says, you don't have to have emotion to back it up. You could feel tired that day. You could feel like not everything's going right and still completely exercise authority because the contract's the same. Yes. It doesn't have anything to do with you. We know this in the business room. If you went, if you said, called in and said, you know what, I can't come in to do my job today. What happened? I just don't feel like I have that position today. But you have it and we're expecting you actually to be here today. But I don't feel like it's true. I don't, we have a big meeting, and I just don't feel like I could really, I don't, I don't feel like they're going to listen to me. Um, it has nothing to do with how you feel. It is your position. They have to listen to you. Yes. Satan doesn't have a choice. We have authority over him, and so we exercise that authority, you can resist the devil with the most level, quiet voice that you have. In the name of Jesus, leave. You say, don't you have to go like, in the name of Jesus, get out. No, you don't. It doesn't mean you can't do that. You could. Maybe you would do that. But the volume of your voice doesn't add to the authority. It doesn't change your authority. In fact, sometimes when we're going, yeah, but you got it, we're, we're, not, we're not really believing. Now we're like, we don't feel like it, it's happening. So, yeah, but I said. But I said, well, that, that's acting like it's not true. Jesus, again, using a Brother Hagen example, but he, he talked about there was one time he was in a line, and not to go into all the detail, but there was this person Jesus had told him certain things. When certain things happen, you'll recognize there's a demon involved and speak to the demon and it'll go. And there was this person involved and the person had something to do with his back or something was real stiff. And Brother Hagin prayed for him and, and, and told the thing to go. And then he said, see if you can bend over and touch your toes. And the man couldn't. He goes, and Brother Hagin said, go sit down. And then he tried it again. I think he tried it a couple times, several times, and, it, and nothing changed. And just said, see if you can bend, you know, touch your toes. He couldn't do it. And in the middle of that, Jesus appeared to Brother Hagin. And he said, I said, when you told this thing to go, it would go. And, and Brother Hagin said, I, I said it, but it didn't go. And Jesus said, I said, when you gave the command, it would go. And Brother Hagin was like, but I, I, I said it, and, and it, it didn't go. And then Jesus, the second or third, or it might have been fourth time, he's, Brother Hagin said his eyes just flashed like fire, and he said, I said they would. And he disappeared. And Brother Hagin got it. Brother Hagin was going by what he saw, and buddy, what he felt, 
rather than what Jesus said. And so when he, came, he said, you come up here. And he told the guy, he, he rebuked the, the thing that was behind him. He said, now touch your toes. He said, there was no if. He just said, do it. And then the man was set free. Sometimes we're looking for something to happen rather than just acting on the authority. And see, Satan will push you to try to let go of your authority and try to get you to look at stuff when this is true. The devil will flee from you, period. So we have to go by what the Word says and, said, and say, wait, that's what God said, so you're, you're gone. And he might yell and say, yeah, but look, this, that, and, and he's getting all like this. When you see, hear and see that, you know he knows he has to go. What he's trying to get you to do is go, oh, it didn't work, and rescind the command because you don't know your authority. Because we're looking at something else besides the Word. Let's look finally at 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom, lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If he could just devour you any time he wanted, it wouldn't say may. We have to give him an opportunity. He can't do anything he wants to do anytime. He has to have our consent. Satan will tell you he's going to do such and such and such and such to you. A good question for him sometimes is, why haven't you already done it? If you're so big and bad, why don't you take me out 10 years ago? Yes. Well, I'm going to take you out this time. Why haven't you done it the last 50 times? Well, I'm going to take you out this time. Why didn't you just do it already? Why didn't you already do it? Because he can't. We need to know that it's only if we give him place. Be, so, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, uh, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Resist him. Push back. Resist him. And it, the Bible wouldn't say to resist him if he could do anything you want. So we can see Satan has, he has no authority over the Christian. He has to act only on the authority that we yield to Him. And He will throw a fit, He'll push, He'll try to put pressure on you to try to get you to back off and say, oh, I guess it doesn't work. Oh, I guess it's not true. What that shows is our understanding of the legality of God's Word. 
if we just center up there, he can yell, he can throw a fit, he can push on you, but if we will stand fast through the storm and say, it's written. See, that's why you know what the words are, not because it's some kind of religious thing. Well, it is written, blah, blah. See how many scriptures you can quote? The reason is because you know what the contract says. You need to know where it is, even if you don't, you don't need to memorize everything, just like you don't need to memorize the whole contract. You need to know where to look and say, it's here. And just point at, it's here. See, this is not some cosmic game. It's legality. You're saying, no, the contract says this. No, the contract says this. No, the contract says this. And what he's trying to do is get you to back off to say, oh, I guess I didn't understand it. Just like a con would. Try to get you to back off what your rights are. And this is what happens. He will push. You're going to try to push to say, are you going to hold your rights or not? Because he knows he has to go. He knows what the Bible says. We're just going to see if you do. We're going to see if I do. And just be prepared. The attack, the pushback will come when you exercise authority and you start messing in the Satan's kingdom you will get pushed back on. If you think it's just going to go smoothly, you don't understand. Satan's, he's got territory. If you start moving in, of course he's going to try to get you to stop. And that's why we have to stay steady and go, no, I'm going to believe the word. I'm going to act on the word. I'm going to go forward in the word and stay there. Do what, don't get stupid and go out beyond what God has told you to do. Do what God has told you to do. Stay firmly in his plan, firmly under His authority, and now you are in a safe place to exercise authority over Satan. Satan cannot stop you. He knows he cannot stop you, but he'll try to convince you he can stop you. Jesus has delegated this authority to us, and He has given us the ability to rebuke the devil, and He expects us to do that. He won't step in and do it for us. It's His strength, it's His power, but we have to issue the command. Amen.